Welcome to Talking on Water. I'm sorry, isn't it Talking Underwater? <gasps> <laughs> well, there's our cold open. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Lauren Baltus, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. I'm Amy McIntosh, Managing Editor of Water Quality Products. And I'm Bob Crossan, Managing Editor for Water and Waste Digest. So uh, this is the first podcast that we're doing, obviously. Um, we are combining all of our books for this one podcast to kind of reinforce that one water mentality. Uh, we know that that's a really common theme at a lot of the shows that we go to. So we wanted to basically talk about some of the overlap that we have between our industries, as well as some of the differences um, that come up with changes in technology or um, in challenges that are faced. So um, I, we hope that this is going to be interesting for people even if they aren't for instance i i work with municipal water and wastewater we hope that hope some of you would be interested in seeing hearing some of the storm water and erosion control stuff and some of the um things with point of use and point of entry so this is lauren i cover storm water and erosion control and um amy covers uh do you want to talk a little bit residential and commercial uh water treatment point of use point of entry um and over time, we've, we really pick up on all the different ways in which our different sectors are connected, then there's a lot of overlap. So um, what better way to cover that than with a podcast? So um, I guess we'll get started with a little bit of One Water News. Um, this was recently covered on eStormwater.com, thanks to our associate editor Lauren Estes and it's about the John P. Holt Brentwood Library in Brentwood, Tennessee. Um, kind of crazy, the restroom pipes were uh, constructed incorrectly and were dumping sewage directly into um, the storm sewer that empties into the Little Harpeth River instead of into um, the sewage system. So there's um, it's quite, <laughs> quite an error, and um, it's been going on for 10 years. Um, so not only is that impacting the water in the river, but we're also seeing some wastewater issues there and potentially impacting groundwater. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll let Bob and Amy speak to that, but... Uh, I was going to say, yeah, so this is like very clearly is kind of where a lot of things can converge, right? So this is supposed to be a sewage situation, but it ended up in a stormwater drain that ended up discharging on ground where it could seep into a ground aquifer. So this like touches literally every aspect of the industry that we cover. But you, you had some more information on the article? Yeah, um, according to News Channel 5, the city did test the creek and didn't find any sewage, but um, there still could be traces of wastewater in the creek bed um, to be determined. They're working to rectify the issue, but um, it's a pretty big one considering it's been happening for 10 years. So mm -hmm. um, that's a little bit of one water news for you. Yeah, it is crazy that that um, went on for so long and no one noticed it. I guess the silver lining is it was such a probably a small-ish mm -hmm. building and it probably wasn't that much 
sewage, but again, it does kind of reinforce the importance of like that kind of mm-hmm. how something that small can impact so many different um, parts of the water cycle. If something like that happened in Chicago, where we are, that would be a huge problem. Well, that kind mm-hmm. of reminded me too, and I think this is something that we're going to hear a little bit later, but mm-hmm. uh, the Chicago River and how um, that kind of fed into the drinking water source of the city of Chicago for a very long time, and that was just full of, of sewage and whatnot, and um, they ended up fixing that, but obviously this is a much smaller scale, and we don't really know what the source or what the, the river water was used for, if that was a drinking water source, but um, some it's a problem like that can lead to a much larger problem down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just makes me wonder how many similar situations there probably are just from an honest mistake you know like it it, that's probably there's i wouldn't expect that there's any negligence if it's been missing for 10 years or people haven't noticed for 10 years it doesn't seem like it's a totally negligent issue um it just an honest mistake that nobody caught until now Mm -hmm. um so it makes me wonder if there's more similar things like that if you guys know of any weird stories that kind of converge in this way please send them our way we'd We'd like to discuss them on the podcast. Yeah. Speaking of, I don't know if I want to say negligence, <laughs> but um, maybe some action that could have been taken. Uh, a big topic happening right now is Cape Town. Um, and we have been covering Cape Town in a few different ways because it's touching all parts of the water industry. Um, and uh, especially uh, Bob and Amy have a lot to say about it because it, it's a very uh, big issue for drinking water and then mm-hmm. the municipalities really have to, you know, get, you know, get things into gear. Um, I don't, um, yeah, so I, I covered this in our April issue. Um, there have been updates since then. I was actually looking at some news today. Um, apparently the testing process for all of the desalination plants have been completed in Cape Town. So the big solution really to this water scarcity issue for, for Cape Town has been these desalination plants. Um, but they've run into issues with um, construction delays, with testing delays, and with funding issues. So it sounds like things are finally moving though. Uh, funding seems to partially still be a a concern, but for the most part, uh, it sounds like a lot of them are going to be operational uh, in May. So um, by the time you're hearing this, it, uh, they very well could be already operational and bringing water into the city. But um, just to add more to that, they're apparently doing pressure management equipment. Uh, So they're installing, I imagine, valves and other meters to understand the pressure in different parts of the system. Um, this is something that was also touched on in the April issue when I spoke um, uh, about valves. Um, so I, I, th- I found that was really interesting that they they seem to have been thinking on that track also. Um, yeah, and so I, while Bob kind of focuses on the larger picture uh, plant side of the equation, my focus is more on the individual um, water use in people's homes and businesses. And I don't really have too many updates since my um, article in um, our May issue came out. Um, (laughs) But, you know, in general, they did 
pretty much postponed day zero till next year. Um, but the water use restrictions are still in effect, so people get 50 liters a day of water to use, and so they have to be kind of creative in the ways that they do that. So I spoke to um, some dealers, some solution providers in Cape Town to find out what they're doing. Um, one person I talked to was an irrigation company originally, um, and he kind of switched his focus to gray water reuse systems when this started becoming a problem in Cape Town. Um, and he was actually importing systems from Kentucky, mm. um, but eventually started manufacturing them in-house just to save on time and costs and whatnot. But um, So yeah, he kind of talked to me about which types of buildings use which types of systems because he does do gray water and um, wastewater systems, or black water systems as they tend to call them down there. Um, and it just depends on the building. Um, for example, commercial buildings, he said, usually use the gray water recycling because they don't have enough wastewater to supply reused water to the whole buildings. Um, and someone else I spoke to was a borehole um, digger. They, they install wells and boreholes for people, um, which this, this factor kind of uh, highlights the economic disparity in the area because this is obviously a more expensive solution for people. Not everyone can afford to dig a well or a borehole. Uh, whichever one you choose depends on the soil you have and whatnot. And this groundwater is still regulated. You have to have a permit. You can't sell it to people. Um, if you dig a well at your house, you can't sell it to your neighbors without a permit. Um, and you still have to meter and monitor it. So there are options for people. Another uh, kind of creative option people have um, listed are the use of their pools as reservoirs. And the gentleman I spoke to from the gray water recycling uh, dealership, he was telling me about a, a treatment system that they use that uses copper and um, UV to treat this water to basically potable standards um, as opposed to like the chlorine method of treating swimming pool water. So there are lots of things that people can do just because day zero is over or has been postponed um, doesn't mean that people can stop being diligent in their water savings. And just so, sorry, just to touch on that one one little bit is like Cape Town did a lot of promotional content as well yeah. to the community about how to conserve water. They had a whole th campaign called Think Water mm -hmm. and um, you can actually find it on the Cape Town website. It's really impressive the types of information that's available there. Mm -hmm. um, there's an entire even a water map of like mm -hmm. Where, where different water levels are higher or lower, um, where you can get water from municipal outlets. Um, it's, re it's, it's actually just like really impressive how much they've put into getting the word out to the public. They also have um, a residential type map where you can literally see how much water your neighbor's using. Hmm. Um, it's not available for all neighborhoods, but it's you can zoom in to such a micro level you can see who in your neighborhood is using more water than they oh, should wow. be, which is kind of, that can cause will, some. Yeah. <laughs> they also have some tips related to that, which is oh. like, don't shame your neighbor if they're yeah. using too much water. Like, teach them how to turn mm -hmm. the water off when they brush their teeth, like stuff like that. Yeah. So, in any of the conversations you had with individuals involved in the commercial side, did they talk at all about how the tourism is affecting this? Yes. I actually talked to, um, I got some information. I talked to one hotel owner, and I got some um, supplementary information from some others. They basically said that, you know, you can't, the tourists don't really understand the full magnitude of mm -hmm. the problem, but they try to educate them as much as they can, and more often than not, they're willing to help, and they're willing to do what they can. Okay. I don't know if 
maybe they see it as kind of like a fun, like, <laughs> not fun, but right. like, kind of like, oh, this is part of the culture, like part of how, like, this yeah. is what it means to travel here is we have to do these things. So they try to, to keep them informed. They said they have signs all over the place and yeah. um, they do what they can. I was poking around the website today and I found like under the media news portion, they have a whole thing on um, like filmmakers, if they're coming to Cape Town to either cover things or do mm-hmm. filming for like a movie or a TV show or something like that. Mm-hmm. They have a whole list, frequently asked questions of where, where can we get water? Um, how can we p- be cognizant of this by coming? Is it a problem that we are coming when you're water strapped? Um, it was, like I said, they're, they've done, they've thought about this from so many different angles yeah. in a way that, like, it, it just really impresses me that they, that the more I dig, the more I realize how really well thought out their whole campaign has been. And um, as Amy mentioned, the restriction is 50 liters per person per day. And you might not realize how little water that is. Um, NBC News offered this interactive tool online to kind of give you a better idea and the average person uses that much water 50 liters in a five-minute shower so um, you every all Capetonians are really having to think hard about how they're using their water um, and uh, they're looking to alternative sources um, similar to how to what Amy was uh, speaking to um, another source that residents are turning to is rainwater harvesting. Um, You might ask, how do you harvest rainwater in a drought? (laughs) Um, Yes, that is a a difficulty, um, but it still provides its benefits um, in a dry season, especially in a drought season. Um, I spoke to a few people involved in rainwater harvesting in South Africa and particularly in Cape Town. And rainwater harvesting still offers a few benefits. It allows the user to have control over where their water is coming from so they know how clean or how dirty it is, where it's being stored, um, and that only they have access to it. So they have quite a bit of control over there. It also allows for a backup supply. So if the user is able to um, really reduce their consumption and uh, save rainwater in a some kind of tank or intelligent system, then they have this backup supply when they need it. For example, when drought season hits. Um, and in addition, users can reduce their com- consumption even more by incorporating gray water recycling. Um, and again, here we're seeing this one water um, theme going on where if a resident is harvesting rainwater, then they can um, use that to shower and then the gray water used is used to flush a toilet and then they have, they're conserving their drinking water for drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it really lengthens the use of their water and um, there's a lot of ways to get creative with it. Um, one thing that was kind of striking was one individual I spoke to um, explained that he his company typically installs 20 to 30 systems annually and since the drought has hit and day zero has become a very big threat they have now been installing closer to 40 to 50 so it's nearly doubled the demand is really high um, and the systems vary some are pretty simple tanks and some are 
very intelligent and expensive systems. Um, and this is another issue that it, it kind of brings up, which is uh, income. So mm -hmm. how yeah. are you how are you dealing with day zero based on your income level? Um, and I speak a little bit about this in my in my story, which will be featured in the June issue of Stormwater Solutions. So take a look. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on it. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, that's 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 pretty much it. Yeah. Well, and just just to reiterate that day, day zero, while it seems to have been staved off for this year, so it, it started, I believe the first day was, it, it was set in April, was gonna be the actual first real day zero, um, but due to all these conservation efforts and the commitment by the city and the community to conserving water, mm -hmm. and especially from industrial and commercial users who are cutting back on their water consumption, um, they just kept on pushing that date back, and it, and it just kept going going further and further back, and I believe it's still in August now, but, um, but that, that time of year is considered their rainy season, so mm -hmm. they're expecting that hopefully they'll have enough water, that it'll refill the dam, and they'll be able to kind of conserve water better through the rest of the year, and um, day zero will be totally avoided for 2018. Um, but for 2019, you're still, it's potential that the drought can still continue, and um, they might still have to be as stringent as they were before. Um, and we're seeing that kind of a thing in the states, especially like especially out west in, in California and Nevada, uh, in the southwest uh, as well. And there have been a lot of measures taken in those communities to be conservative with their water. And as I said before, for Cape Town, desalination has been a very um, important factor in solving the problem. And that's also been part of the solution for California as well. Um, and for instance, the Carlsbad desalination plant is the largest desalination plant in the Western Hemisphere. Um, I believe it was a, a billion dollar plant when it was made. And even, even they are really conserv conservative with their water. They use cooling tower water from the power plant next door to mix with the brine before they discharge. So even they're like, even in the process of making water potable, they're trying to find ways to use gray water for like potable needs or for um, discharge needs. So it's just it's 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 an interesting story, and I don't I don't think that the idea of day zero, while it's predominantly has been based on Cape Town, I don't think the I think the grander idea of water scarcity it's not going to go away. There's always going to be a a day zero impending, right? Well, we're already starting to see it in other parts of the world. Um, Bangalore has been experiencing some similar problems to Cape Town, which is drought and, and population boom, among other things. And there's been some concern that they will reach day zero as well. So it's, it's happening quicker than we thought in more places than maybe we would think. Um, <laughs> And uh, we're continuing to cover Day Zero on all our magazines, so stay tuned. Yeah. And if you're located somewhere where there's a drought, uh, water shortage, and your, your organization or your community is doing something innovative to conserve water, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, you can, re you can actually reach us by email, uh, talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. So if you have any comments or if you 
are experiencing something as it relates to water scarcity or if you have a water reuse project that's interesting or um, anything like that, please do get in contact with us. We love to hear your story. Yeah. Um, so earlier, Amy spoke about the Chicago River. Um, we recently had a visit with MWRD. The Metropolitan Water Reclamation, Reclamation District, District of Greater, Greater Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> it's quite the mouthful, but <laughs> we got there. Um, and and on this visit, we talked a little bit about everything with MWRD. It was a great mm -hmm. boat tour, um, and we have a little clip from our tour. Yeah, we'll play that for you now. So we're out here on the Chicago River on our tour with the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. Boy, that's a mouthful. Um, we were earlier out on the lake as well, but we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things that we've been seeing here. Uh, I'll pass it to Lauren to have her chat a little bit about Bubbly Creek. So we're real close to Bubbly Creek and you might be wondering about its history and why it's named that way and that's because in the old Chicago stockyards they would dump a lot of um, carcasses of pretty much of livestock and um, which would produce a lot of gases creating the name Bubbly Creek. Um, it's not pretty and even though uh, it's been 40 years since um, that was a practice, there's still a lot of pollutants in Bubbly Creek and that part of the river, even though... After we clear these kayakers, um, <laughs> I'm going to bring up the speed again. Even though MWRD the, um, is taking strides to improve the, the river, there's still, there's still a lot of pollutants. And Amy, the, you were talking, the, there's some revitalization stuff that's gone on with the, with the river as well. Yeah, so if you're not from Chicago and you're not familiar with um, the history of the river, um, it used, when the stockyards were, were super active, they would dump, all, like Lauren said, all of the, the carcasses and whatnot into the river and all of the waste would go into the river. And the river flew into Lake Michigan, which is where uh, the drinking water came from and still comes from. So. Um, the, they eventually had to reverse the flow of the Chicago River because uh, all of the waste was getting into the lake and contaminating the drinking water. So uh, we started our tour today going out into the lake near the one of the water intake cribs um, where the water comes or the drinking water comes from and is sent to the plant over um, next to Navy Pier. Um, I think there are nine intake cribs and two of them are active currently. Um, and so, yeah, we were able to get pretty close to one of them, so that was pretty cool. Now, you'll notice that the wind is kind of picking up here. We're picking up speed on the boat. <laughs> so, um, anyway, we just passed by Pinktown Park, uh, Memorial Park as well. Uh, one of the interesting parts about that park is that the MWRD Biosolids Program has uh, provided uh, has provided some uh, some fertilizer for that park. It's a gorgeous little park. Um, I recommend that you check out some videos that we're doing and some photos that we're posting so you can see some of uh, what that looks like on our website. But um, they use those biosolids are produced from the sewage and sludge, um, and they're, they they were used for all the landscaping projects at that park. That it's just very very green now. There's all, great beautiful flowers there, trees, and there were a ton of families out there while we when we went by. But anyway, wanted to give you a little idea of what our trip was like on the Chicago River as well as Lake Michigan and some of the cool things that are happening with water in Chicago. Talk to you when we're on land. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, now, now that you know a little bit about that uh, MWRD trip, we have some plans for next month. Obviously, we're already planning our issues. Um, some of us are, have already uploaded our issues as well, um, and they're all going to be uploading within the next <laughs> couple days. But uh, Two hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a busy life, you know. Um, well, for, for me, my June issue is a buyer's guide issue, so it has a list of all the different uh, products and technologies that you can expect in the water and wastewater uh, treatment industry, and as well as contact information for the companies that you can um, reach out to for that technology. Um, so my issue is a little boring this month, but <laughs> it's it's a useful tool for especially for consultants and engineers who are looking to spec systems and they need to know who has what type of technology. Like if you need a pump, these are the people you need to talk to. If you need a pipe, go to these people. It's so. a good one to have on hand. That's boring for sure. but important. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bo- boring but important. I should, I should, I should probably shouldn't say that my magazine's boring. <laughs> um, so for WQP this month, um, we've got our we have a quarterly update from the Water Quality Association. We like to check in with them um, four times a year to find out kind of what they're doing. What are some of the um, the legislative uh, things that they're pursuing. Um, so that would be interesting to check out. They've spent some time on Capitol Hill recently, so be sure to check that out. Uh, we also have an article about the, it's based on a survey done in Minnesota, um, how to communicate with well owners who demonstrate high levels of arsenic in their wells. Um, kind of provides some insight into why people don't get treatment for their water, even though they know that they have um, elevated contaminant levels. So. That's some good tips to um, for dealers to learn how to kind of communicate with people who might be reluctant to install treatment systems, even though that they know that they have a problem. Um, and finally, my editorial letter this month talks <laughs> about the importance of DNA. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a passion of mine. But, um, but basically, there was a report in um, uh, an industry journal that was about using DNA testing to um, to detect the presence of Legionella in water cyst- or in water um, to find the source of a Legionella outbreak or Legionnaire's disease outbreak. Excuse me, because um, you know sometimes the bacterial test can take up to ten days to get results, but if there's an outbreak and you want to stop it, you can you can pinpoint kind of the source um, using these this DNA technology. It's quicker, but it's not. It doesn't tell you. There's some facts you don't get, but it can help uh, stop the spread of an outbreak. So that was an interesting uh, release I got this week or this month. And how did you tie it all in? Well, you know, <laughs> when it comes to DNA, <laughs> DNA can be used for a lot of things. For example, crime solving. So... Yeah, check that out. So there's a special little tie-in there. So you won't want to miss that letter from Amy. My interests are buried. <laughs> um, I also, in my letter this month, I talk a little bit about um, the skilled labor shortage, and I also bring up some gender issues, and that is always a topic I want to talk about, whether, no matter what gender you are. So should we email? Um, stay tuned for that. Uh, like I said, I also cover Cape Town in, in the June issue. Um, so if you want a more detailed um, account of my look at, of how I looked at rainwater harvesting in Cape Town, um, that'll be in this issue. 
uh, as well as uh, recovering erosion control and a deteriorating canal and at an abandoned mine site. And uh, we got a great story on BMPs among, among several other good articles. So, so don't miss them. They'll be in the June issue of Stormwater Solutions and available online as with all the magazines. Mm-hmm. And um, to add a little more housekeeping, uh, this will be coming out just before we go to AWWA ACE in uh, Las Vegas in June. Um, please come by our booth. Our number is 16137. Uh, we will all be there. We're actually planning to record some of the podcast on the show floor. So um, if you have some interest in talking to us or would like to be featured on the podcast or if you have any cool uh, products that you think that we should talk about, uh, please get in touch with us at the email that I mentioned earlier. Again, that email is talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. Uh, you can get in touch with us there. Uh, is there anything else we should add? And we want to hear your questions. Oh, yes, indeed. We do want to hear your questions. So we'd like to uh, close out each podcast with a question from uh, you guys listening. So please do send in questions to that email that I mentioned. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your stories, have your feedback, um, what you'd like us to cover, what you think that we should um, be working toward, um, if there's new segments or anything like that. We're, We're open to the feedback. Or if you're just curious about something. We might not have the answer, but we'll try. <laughs> yeah, or we or we can look and find someone who yeah, might be able to answer that question answer for us. Question. We might be able to get an interview to answer that question. Yeah. So, give us a holler. Yeah. All right, first podcast done. Thanks, guys. Put it on the books. <laughs> <laughs>